This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach. I'm your host. And as you know, we are all about passion and purpose on this program. And we love talking to people who have found and are following their bliss in their lives. And today we have a special show for you all about a, an uber-talented visual artist, cartoonist, and illustrator, Josh Rosen, who followed his dream and has now illustrated and published a best-selling graphic novel called The Good Fight, which tells the story of one of the Saturdays in Toronto history. However, the book allows us to visit the moment in a way that everyone can relate to, and it does so in a way that has many moments of humor, fun, and lightness too, and action and thrilling bits, and he and the writer Ted Staunton have a real hit on their hands. I'm so thrilled to have Josh Rosen on the program as he is someone who has really pursued his dreams and is now living in his bliss as an artist in the worlds of cartooning and storytelling. We'll also play some clips from the documentary Cartoon College, a film by Josh Melrod and Tara Ray, courtesy of LB Thunder Pony Productions in association with Chicken and Egg Pictures. All of that coming up, but first let me tell you a little more about my wonderful guest. Josh Rosen is a cartoonist and illustrator from Toronto, Ontario. He's loved drawing and telling stories since pretty much forever, and he has the Masters of Fine Arts to prove it. He has done illustration work for magazines, websites, animation projects, documentary films, and role-playing games. When exploring his own work, he enjoys making comics about friendship, spooky stuff, and real-world history though often filtered through a playful or comic lens. Here's some selected bibliography for you. The Good Fight. This is a graphic novel that he has just published with writer Ted Staunton, Scholastic Canada 2021. And a big congratulations on that. The Dark, published in Toronto Comics, Volume 3, story by Aaron Feldman, Toronto Comics Anthology Group 2016. Storytelling Nights, published in Chili Tales, comics from the Canadian Under Tundra, 11th Dimension Press, 2014. Josh has received numerous awards and recognition for his work, including being the recipient of the Ontario Arts Council Writers Reserve Grant in 2016 and the winner of Centre for Cartoon Studies Book Proposal Award in 2014. Additional accomplishments include... Self-published work. Josh has a history of being active in the small press comics community, producing self-published work both in print and online. Self-published print work includes Wrestle Club. I'm not going to give you all the dates here. You can look these up, but here's some of the titles. Magical Cards, Dungeons and Dragons. That was 2014. As well as co-editing the Werewolf Comic Anthology series. Online output includes Web Comics, Edwitch, and Darcy Shane, Werewolf Hunter. His small press work has drawn great praise from publications, including The Comics Journal and Broken Pencil Magazine. Josh has done freelance illustrations. He has experienced providing freelance illustration and cartooning work for print, 
film, and digital media. Josh has also been hired to deliver lectures on comics and graphic novels through McMaster University, University of Toronto Scarborough campus, and through Canscape West. He has delivered youth-oriented talks and workshops through the Toronto Library System, the Coburg Library System, Sterling Hall Private School, Canzine Toronto, and the Word on the Street Literary Festival. He also continues to engage with youth-oriented arts education through this phenomenal work that he does with the organization Story Planet. He has a master's degree from the Center for Cartoon Studies, a master's of fine art, and a BA from McMaster University in comparative literature. Josh Rosen, longest bio ever, right? Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for that very thorough bio. I mean, just <laughs> listening to it, I keep thinking, wow, that sounds more impressive than I realized. <laughs> Isn't it nice to hear it back and to realize all that you've accomplished thus far? And you're and you're a young guy, so it's it's quite exciting. I've known you. Uh, we won't. Uh, we'll, we'll be real about this. Really, since you were a little kid, and you've always been a storyteller. Even as a little boy, I remember you would create stories on long car rides, rides and weave tales. And even before you could really read, you would write reams and reams and pages and pages of stories and then would proceed to read them out loud, you totally understanding what you were writing. Do you remember having this creative spark, as it were, and where do you think it came from or it comes from? Yeah, I mean, totally. I pretty much, as as you said it, ever since I can remember, I... I just felt a, a bit of a natural gravitation towards stories and storytelling. I mean, I, I very sincerely think that stories, um, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, they really are sort of how we process the world. Yeah, ever since I can remember, was was fascinated with it and fascinated the various ways you can tell stories, be it sort of orally, be it um, through writing, or, or be it through visuals in, in mediums like uh, illustration, like comics, like film. I'm one of the... Uh, the first things you say when you meet someone is like, what's your story? Um, or maybe maybe not quite that way. But, you know, that's essentially how we communicate ourselves to each other. And I, I don't know, I, th I think everyone has a innate interest in that to some degree. I think I just happen to have that a bit more pronounced, I guess. What a wonderful thing to know from a young age. And I, I remember that as a kid in grade three, mm -hmm. you entered a contest. This is grade three. That's like you're very little in grade three, where you were asked to create and design the mascot of the school and you won. And what that involved was you won the contest and the prize was a pizza party for your entire class. And suddenly you became a hero of sorts. And I love this story because you did what you excelled at. And once we're in a place of excellence, people sort of notice that. And that, that must have made you feel so good. Can you tell us about that? Do you have a memory of that? <laughs> yeah, good Lord. We're, this is going a bit more in depth than I, than I was initially expecting. But I mean, that's uh, grade three. I, I don't know if I, I fully remember what was going through my head at the at the time. Um, you're, you're just kind of figuring out being a human at that age. I don't know if I really, really thought of uh, the way that people would uh, think of it beyond I just wanted to... Um, you know, since I was a kid, I wanted to draw. I wanted to make stories. It's what I would do in my free time anyway. Yeah, I guess I, I won. Uh, I won a nice little contest in grade three, but um. <laughs> and you had you had a lot of happy happy classmates. What do you think ultimately? Because it's a risk to go into the arts. If you're a singer or a novelist or a cartoonist illustrator, as you are, and a successful one. You know, and, and I say that because a lot of people want to go into things like I'd like to sing on Broadway, but it wouldn't, I don't think it would work because I, I, my daughter has the talent, not me. But 
What do you think led you to really seriously pursue a career in comics and the creative arts? I'm sure it has been and still is a real journey for you. But was there a moment where you knew this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, well, I, I very much appreciate you um, bringing up the fact that it is it is not uh, necessarily an easy path. It's um, deciding to make your primary career one that is in the arts. Um, it's uh, signing up, signing yourself up for a, a degree of struggle sometimes. Anyway, it's not um, it's not a linear path. You sort of have to find your own way. Absolutely. So, was there a moment when you realized this isn't just going to be a hobby, which is what it would be for most people? Yes. This is really what I wanted want to do for the rest of my life. This is my purpose, and I'm going to take it so seriously that I'm not going to go and work at you know, a computer company or something that I'm not really interested in, I'm going to do this with my life. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it really comes down to this or some version of this is the thing that gives me the most joy in the world. There's nothing that I get as much pleasure from as the act of creation, um, you know, in, in the in the various forms that it takes. So I, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said in terms of general career paths, in terms of, uh, you know, some some people having a degree of talent like uh like you just indicated about about singing you know some people they they just do it they just have a, an amazing vocal range or some people just have an innate design sense say or an innate um strong visual instinct um and i think that that factors into a degree but i think also um uh, a lot of it is through um persistence and having the patience to learn and um for me, for whatever reason, I, I sort of recognized at a very early age that nothing quite sort of scratched that itch for me. Nothing quite felt as satisfying as, um, yeah, creating. Um, and that, that was both through writing and drawing, though, though drawing is sort of primarily where I'm uh, uh, making my living at present. But uh, even, even that is sort of a form of storytelling in its way. I should tell our listeners that I remember you had 100% in English two years in a row in high school, and then this continued on at McMaster. You had a lot of 100s, which is sort of unheard of in English in comparative literature that you studied it, and you were a bit of a star there. Uh, so you're also a writer. We, you are known now as, a, as, a, as an illustrator, as a cartoonist, but you are also a writer, and I want to get to that, so I want to hold that thought. But uh, okay, Yes, yeah. I, I had some very generous English teachers, I think, growing up. <laughs> I think you're being modest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we. I, I can set that aside for the moment if you want. I think there is a strong link between um, illustration and visual communication and storytelling and writing. I think they, they kind of often go hand in hand, especially when you're talking about something like comics. I mean, this is um, my, my happiest place. I guess I'll leave it at this. And I'm very aware of this, having sort of just come out or are being in the process of hopefully opening up with this global pandemic, you know, um, the, the thing that has centered me the most is being able to, uh, have consistent sort of creative work that I can do. That is, that is what keeps me centered. And I, you know, the, the past year and a half has been a strong reminder of that. So wonderful. I, I, this would be a good time, I think, to congratulate you on this beautiful book that I'm holding up right now. It's a graphic novel that was just published called The Good Fight by Ted Staunton and Josh Rosen. Josh, for our listeners who don't know, can you describe what a graphic novel is? Yes. Yeah, very good question. Um, the uh, uh, graphic novel is sort of to a, to a comic as a novel is to a short story, I guess. The um, a, a graphic novel is sort of a longer form comic, um, one that hopefully is a little bit more substantial than what you might encounter in a uh, 
in a newspaper, say, or in a comic book store, in a superhero comic, a graphic novel would typically be much longer, have a spine like a book, and it'll um, it'll often give you a little, sometimes it'll tackle sort of heavier topics or just be uh, a little bit more bang for your buck than you normally get for a, uh, a typical comic book. Exactly. It's substantive. It's like, it's like reading a book, except with these beautiful illustrations by Josh Rosen. And, and um, I also was going to say, isn't it also almost like a storyboard is to film? Yes. Oh, very much so. Yeah. A storyboard is very close to what a graphic novel is, except in a, in a, as opposed to a storyboard, a graphic novel will normally be taken a couple steps extra in terms of the refinement. You get a, you know, usually you get some very, very beautiful drawings in a, in a typical graphic novel. I loved your angles and your form and like the, the, it's, it's almost three dimensional. Like it's very interesting when you see it, it's, it's not, uh, there's just something very alive about it. So I, I just, I really loved, loved your drawing so much. Oh, and, thank you so uh, much. Really impressive. You worked on this for two years. I counted last night. So tell me if I'm in the right ballpark. I believe you did over 1,000 illustrations. Am I close? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I, I, I have not counted. I'm, I would not be surprised. I suspect it might even be more than that. Because um, each, in the process of something like this, it's each each individual panel will have an illustration on a, on a given page. But then you you do a rough version before you go to these finals and you do drafts and you have to revise based off feedback you get from working with uh with Ted the writer on this or working with our our wonderful team at Scholastic who have history checkers and fact checkers going through and saying actually you need to change this bit because this was not quite historically accurate so um there's a lot of uh, additional drawing that happened um on top of uh what actually made it to the final page but you had to sit down and do these drawings. So let's say well over a thousand drawings. And, and they're gorgeous, by the way. I love the earth tones and I love how clean and clear and uh, beautiful they are and harmonious. I don't know. I just found this thing very, very easy to look at and oh, very so harmonious and, and beautiful, your drawing style. And first of all, before I get to the whole thing about um, your involvement with the with the writer and how does that all work and with Scholastic with the dance and I and I think that must be quite a dance. Was it hard to sit down? Because I've heard cartoonists and illustrators say it's difficult to sometimes get your butt on the chair and do it. Oh, for that sure. in itself is a huge achievement and a huge triumph. What gets you through those days when it's hard to sit down and draw? Yes. Oh, 100%. I mean, and I think people from other creative fields could probably relate to that as well. It is always hard to get yourself sitting in front of, you know, the blank page, the blank canvas, what have you, and getting to work. Comics especially are quite labor intensive in terms of the number of hours that often end up uh, being required to go into it. I mean, I feel like I've got a little bit of a leg up because of the fact that at the end of the day has has very much become sort of my happy place. There's a, a bit of a meditative quality to it, and it is sort of being able to sit there and, uh, you know, listen to music or listen to a podcast, say, um, and uh, enter into that that flow state is, um, that probably is, um, like like I guess I mentioned before, but, uh, um, you know, there, there's something kind of centering in that. Um, the... Uh, uh, that that definitely helps to uh, to be able to get there regularly. Um, that being said, it isn't necessarily easy. Some days you do not feel like doing it at all. You see, you hear birds outside, you see the sunshine. <laughs> you're like, wouldn't it be nice to? 
to step out there. Um, you know, uh, there's the old saying about whatever percentage uh, inspiration, whatever percentage perspiration is required for mm-hmm. any any sort of creative work. Um, I think that's very much true. You find tricks uh, or techniques for uh, for keeping yourself at the drawing table. Often, often that ends up being it. Um, you uh, you know you you listen to a lot of podcasts. You listen to a lot of music. Um, you uh, sometimes I'll I'll even sort of uh, be able to get away with putting on a movie or something like that and say I, I'm not going to sit down and watch this movie normally. I'm just going to have it playing and I'm going to background sort of background noise. <laughs> yeah, anything to keep your your brain a little occupied as you're going through the sometimes tedious task of saying I have to draw this mailbox now or I have to draw this building now. Um, but um, sometimes that ends up being the fun of it, being able to sort of just lose yourself in the space and uh, um, lose yourself in these little lines that you're you're sort of diving into. You know, Josh, as, as you were talking, I was getting very choked up and I was getting choked up because I really, and I, I am choked up even as I'm saying this, it's interesting. I usually get other people to be choked up. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling it because I really feel you're a true artist. And it's oh, so, so wonderful to talk to somebody who really is a true artist. And and what you're doing is just so remarkable because of that. Because you, you're doing it and you're a true artist. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it's it's quite a triumph. Let's talk about the dance a little bit between the writer and yourself and Scholastic. Like, how does that all work mm-hmm. on a daily basis? Would that be like, let's have a weekly meeting and then go back to the drawing board? Or how does that dance actually work when you're putting something like this together? Yeah, it, it very much uh, depended on what stage of the process um, it was in, especially when it's a collaborative book like this. There are clear sort of steps along the way. Um, once we sort of got the got the go-ahead from Scholastic and got everything sort of lined up, um, I mean, first of all, there's a period where I'm not even involved. I'll, t- I'll take it a, a couple steps back. So the early genesis of this process, Ted and I had a lot of back and forth about what we thought this book would be. Um, I made some quick sketches and character designs to make sure sort of the visuals were aligned with what he was thinking and so we could have it informing the the writing that he could do. Um, we talked a little bit, even, even just story stuff about what I'm sort of envisioning for this character. This is what we think the arcs might be and having a bit of back and forth of that. So both of us had that kind of going through our head. Um, then, then Ted went off and wrote the, wrote the script. Um, so there was a full script that was created before I, I quite started sitting down and doing roughs. Then once, once his script was ready and then went through our editor at Scholastic, who sort of took some notes, made some changes. I then made a rough version of the graphic novel with just sort of pencil, uh, sketches of what eventually sort of, you know, see on the page I did, um, sort of sample page layout. So I would take the script and I would break it down into uh, into steps and say, okay, so I think that this part of the script is probably going to be one page. This part of the script will be another. And mm. I'll sort of break it down into panels, say, I want this moment to take up this much of a page, or I'd like this moment to be a full page in and of itself. So you had to sort of budget around that. And then for me, once once I was really getting going, it, it was sort of a bi-weekly check-in where I would, it became actually every week by the end, but early on, it was every other week, I would just take um, my roughs or take um, my in-process work. I would package it up digitally and then I would share it with um, both Ted and um, and the team at Scholastic and say, this is where it's at. I would get some notes from them. So sometimes I would go back over a previous week's work. And then we did this for each step of the process. So I would... Uh, do it, sending off the rough version and then getting notes, making modifications, making sure that it all looked good. 
then I did a pass where I did the the inks, even though I worked digitally on this, um, the the sort of black line art of it. That was that was a layer of it itself. Where so I went over the mm-hmm. rougher rougher version of the drawings and made a more refined pass on it, and then we did it all a third time with the colors which I laid down um, myself. Um, I hope I hope this is interesting, wow. radio. This is what the process no, it is. is. It's so it's so fascinating. So so you start off with pencil and paper, like drawing the way you, you would normally would, and then you do a, an an ink version, and then it becomes a digital version as your final pass. Is that sort of how it works? Actually, I, I keep using these um, physical media terms like pencils and inks, but actually for this project, it was purely digital. You know, the old comics tradition is to do a. Uh, use traditional media for all of this, doing rough pencil sketches and then going over those with inks. Um, working digitally just means you can work a little bit quicker. And I'll still do things like for the pencil sketch, I'll usually draw those out in a bit of a different color. So it's easier to distinguish between that and the finished ink. So I'll usually, I'll use blue. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. sort of an old cartooning uh, tradition. They used to draw in uh, non-photo blue pencils that would not be picked up by photocopiers as a way to... Um, make it so the pencils could easily disappear and i don't know just instinctively i'm carrying that on even though i'm working digitally and doing these blue pencils that we that i then go over a second time um so it is all digital but um the process is the same as if it was uh with physical media do you enjoy the digital as much as you would like that like they say sometimes as a writer which i am is hand to heart and the physicality with the pencil on the paper hearing the scratch of the pencil was that a shift for you to to be able to just move to digital? Oh, for sure. It's 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 a really good question, and there's no denying that you do. In some ways, you lose something by by shifting to digital, but I think in some ways you gain something. For me, at least, in terms of my own artistic psychology, I guess um, the uh, working digitally, even though it doesn't have that same sort of tactile element that working with physical media does, the fact that it feels so impermanent actually brings out a bit of a looseness in my art, I find. Um, I, I I just get a little less precious when I'm working digitally because I can just, you know, know that I can control Z anytime or I can erase um, or... Uh, Love that, control um, Z, eh? Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> it's, a good one. Yeah, it's a It's a godsend, I can't, I can't lie. Um, sometimes some of my drawings come out a little livelier than they would because of the fact that I'm working digitally and because I, I'm not putting the pressure on myself in the same way. That's so cool. Well, I just want to share with our listeners what uh, Quill Inquire, so pretty um, awesome publication, uh, wrote about your illustrations in The Good Fight. But first, we're going to find out all about the incredible review they gave you right after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We 
We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined by illustrator and cartoonist Josh Rosen. And I was just about to read the review from Quill and Choir, uh, this wonderful review that Quill and Choir gave Josh Rosen in his graphic novel, The Good Fight. And I quote, Rosen's vivid and engaging illustrations add a wonderful sense of time and place. The Good Fight is a solid introduction for young readers to issues of prejudice, loyalty, and the immigrant experience. Let's talk about the the story a little bit. So it's mm-hmm. a, a kid oriented for nine and nine years old and, and plus. I mean, I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm a little bit older than that. Set uh, back in the 1930s in Toronto, and it's all around the events surrounding the infamous ride at Christie Pitts. As mentioned earlier, it was published by Scholastic Canada. You have well over a thousand gorgeous illustrations in it. Can you tell us a little bit about more about the story and what it was like to draw these characters, which was so wonderful. I love those pages where there, there's two pages. I actually had them written down. I can't find them in my script right now, but where there was a lot of white and there were two pivotal moments in the book and it was almost all white and the character and it just made it very uh, dramatic. I love that. I'm just wondering how you saw this whole thing, like how, how you could tell us what the story is all about through your illustrations. Oh, yes, totally. I mean, the story deals with a, uh, a moment in, uh, in Canadian history and in Toronto history um, that uh, it's a bit of an uncomfortable moment, but it's a very important one, I think. Uh, I mean, it's the 1930s. It was the slow ramp up was currently going on towards World War II. Um, things were shifting in Germany in a very big way. And the rest of the world wasn't fully aware. We were all sort of catching up um, to to what was going on. But a lot of these ideas, a lot of the symbols that were part of it were sort of coming around. The swastika was becoming um, a bit more of a presence. And there were there were people who were sympathetic to, to what that symbol meant. It's important to acknowledge that it was the Great Depression at the time in North America. Um, so there's a lot of poverty, a lot of inequality going on. And Sometimes that manifests in sort of scapegoating, in uh, anti-immigrant sentiment, um, and there was a lot of tensions, uh, especially directed towards some of the recent arrival populations at the time, particularly the uh, Toronto Jewish population and the Toronto Italian population, who were seen as outsiders sort of coming into the old order. These tensions sort of came to uh, a climax in this riot, um, this moment that is hugely significant in Canadian history, although it's not as actively talked about as it perhaps could be. There was uh, this baseball game where someone unfurled a a giant swastika banner um, and uh, it erupted into a riot. Um, It boiled over into the streets. Uh, This moment is depicted in the book. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of very heavy stuff. And in the wake of it, you know, the, the mayor of Toronto of the time, Mayor Stewart, who is actually, interestingly enough, Ted's grandfather. So there's a bit of a legacy piece in that. He said that um, the swastika is going to be banned in the city. And it was a bit of a sort of a sea change moment in Canada at the time. These are all sort of big and potentially heavy events that are sort of being dealt with in the book. But we tried to deal with it in a way that feels relatable, especially sort of uh, could be processed in a good way by the kid audience. So a lot of it is about what it would be like going through something like that as a young person, as a kid. It's uh, about that feeling of living through a moment in the history that's a little bit above your head. The protagonists of our book, they, they are not actively thinking about this stuff, at least at the start of the book. They are thinking about how do I get some cash? I mean, they're, they're coming from poor families in Toronto. Um, 
Uh, they're resorting to pickpocketing. They're thinking, how can we can we like perform on the boardwalk to to get some quick cash? What do we do for jobs? What are our futures going to be? What are what, this person doesn't like me? This person does like me. These are these are their concerns. Um, but the uh, the moment itself is sort of tugging on them and sort of pulls them in into this uh, little bit of an adventure story that sort of is happening in this period. It's uh, dealing with these these big historical issues, but it's dealing in a way that is uh, sort of very informed by the narrative and informed by what it would be like to be pulled into something like this at the time. It's really exquisitely done. I think I think you've achieved exactly what what you set out to do, and um, and I think it's great for young and older audiences. Ted did such a great job on the story on this, and I, I sort of hope that I was able to do everything I could in order to um, bring it to life and sort of really immerse the reader in that time period. You, you really, really have accomplished that. And I really want people to see this book, The Good Fight. It's just beautiful. And I want to ask you, was it ever difficult to draw some of the more disturbing images? Yes, there there are some tough, tough spots. So the riot itself is depicted. Um, uh, so there there are sort of what, what you pointed towards, these scenes where sort of the background drops away as we get sort of overtaken by the violence of the moment. I tried to do the best I could to convey how scary that would be. Um, the sort of most difficult to draw probably was there's a, a group sort of around the balmy beach club that had, um, we're, we're sort of like a, it's kind of a protective society to keep our beaches clean sort of society. But they, they at the time styled themselves as a swastika club, not realizing I'm sure how that would sound years down the line. But, um, there is, there is a scene of that in the book and, um, in drawing it, I tried as best I could to sort of convey the, uh, sort of insidious banality of, evil in this, um, of the way in which um, sort of hatred can take forms that are not so obvious. And I, I honestly did feel a little chilled sort of uh, drawing that stuff and sort of spending time with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's necessary for a story like this. You sort of have to sort of work through that. It has to be included, I think, um, if you're going to give an honest uh, sort of picture of what this what this moment in Canadian history was like. Really remarkable stuff. I, I got to tell you, um, yeah, it's 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 heavy. It's heavy stuff that uh, mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. did as an artist to create this beautiful book. It just wasn't all like fun and drawing. Like there's there's emotion no, yeah. and there's there's so much work involved. So I just really commend you for this incredible. Mm-hmm. When you got your copy, and I'm sure it arrived to you in the mail somehow, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. opened up, a, I'm sure, a package. <laughs> it was during COVID, probably with lots of Purell handy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> What did you think when you first saw the book, your book? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's surreal. It's surreal to have a uh, significant amount of work that you've done sort of in your hands with a spine. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, when, when I first got it, I sort of flipped through and uh, immediately had to sort of set it aside and was like, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. And then I sort of continued for the next week or so. Actually, still, I still have a copy right, right by my desk that, Every once in a while, I flip through it. I sort of give it a look. And I'm like, wait, is this is this book still good? I'm like, okay, yeah, it's still good. It's still good. I can put it back <laughs> down. Um, Great, but it's still I, it still hasn't sunk into me that this this is real. Um, uh, and that it isn't something that just lives in my head. I'm so excited for people to have a chance to read it, to to experience it themselves, um, and to not just have this thing that sort of exists in the conversation between just uh, myself and Ted and our editors. It's uh, it's a thing that people can go in a bookstore and pick up and, and read for themselves and uh, experience and hopefully enjoy. 
And also you might be reaching some young cartoonists and, and young illustrators who are dying to do what you're doing and you're going to inspire them by the fact that you actually did this and you published, like I'm holding it. It's it's substantial. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a real thing and it's beautifully, beautifully done. Nothing would make me happier than to uh, have <laughs> someone pick it up and, and want to sort of be, be a cartoonist themselves. But even, even, if, even if that's not your ambition, oh my God, I would just be happy if a kid picked it up and enjoyed it. That is, that is our real hope. I think I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Josh, you've also got a contract with Macmillan Publishing. Yes, I th- actually am not sure how much I can talk about. Oh, oh okay. The, the, announcement, you come back? the announcement hasn't been made yet. All right. Um, well, when that but, when that occurs, will you come back and tell us all about it? We will do another pickup oh, yeah, interview and and hear about that because that's so great. So this is not just a one time thing. That's what's so fabulous about this. No. is that you're really doing this, and this is very exciting because this means this really is becoming your and is your career, which is so great. Um, You've been an indie artist and you've also been published. And there are two very different things, both important. How did you find a publisher? Was that a huge and difficult process or did it just sort of all fall into place? Like I sort of mentioned at the start, being, being an artist, being in creative field, there often is not a linear way to do it. Often you end up finding your own path. Often it, it feels a lot like fishing to me where you're sort of, you put out multiple lines sometimes you, uh, and you just sort of see what, uh, what comes out in terms of the, the independent self-publishing, uh, small press publishing, um, has its advantages working with the bigger publisher has its advantages. There's no correct way to necessarily do it. My, my own path, um, was, uh, was one of, I, I ended up in a very lucky situation where I had, um, I managed to get a uh, literary agent who has represented me for um, for some of these projects. But then the the projects that manifest aren't always the ones that um, it doesn't always take the route that you you do. I I was pitching stuff around. I had um, a lot of potential opportunities that um, almost happened that didn't quite. And then it was um, you know this this book with Ted is one that came out of uh, just sort of interpersonal relationship. I, I happened to sort of meet Ted going around the literary circuit and we really hit it off and wanted to work together. You know, the good fight wasn't necessarily what I thought was going to be the first of the books that I did, but um, I'm very glad that it has been with it, with it being uh, a, um, a tale that has so much relevance to the, the present time. Um, but um, you know, and how, and how, yes, yes. Thank you. But the the path that I that I took to get to this point is not it, it was not an A to B at all. It was sort of a you went to A to B, then you went to A to C, then you went to A to D, and uh, sort of eventually one of them landed. Fabulous! That's so that's so fabulous for for artists and for writers and novelists and 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 you know visual artists to to hear this. You also do wonderful work in arts education through Story Planet Toronto, and you teach kids in grade two and three how to create and draw and actually put books together. Can you tell us more about Story Planet and what your involvement is with them. Yeah, thank you for asking. Story Planet is a very wonderful organization um, based out of Toronto that is um, uh, focused on arts education, specifically focused on helping to provide and support arts education in communities um, in and around the GTA that um, are identified as being uh, under-resourced. Looks a lot at sort of schools that are in neighborhood improvement areas or areas where we just, um, it seems that there is just less of a presence of arts education as part of the education system that the the kids living in the area are uh, are getting, and we think that arts education is hugely important. Um, be it 
something where where students are interested in sort of pursuing a career in the arts, as was the case for myself as a young person. But even if you're not, even if you're like, I'm, I'm going to be an accountant one day, or I'm going to be, you know, working in a garage even. I think having an artistic practice is so good for yourself as a person, sort of mental health often, but even just like having an ability to communicate yourself, communicate your thoughts to the world and being part of, uh, of the ongoing conversation. That, that really is often what I think arts, art skills are about. So Story Planet goes into uh, to schools, goes into community centers and does just fun workshops with kids most of the time focused on writing or drawing or drama or things like that. Um, I've had the good fortune of being involved in that organization for many years and it's um, informed my own work in many ways. Um, whenever, uh, because as, as you kind of mentioned, it's often a very solitary work. It's often involves a lot of time just by yourself at the drawing board and uh, being able to sort of go out and uh, talk to young people and uh, and uh, just be excited about art and what art can be um, uh, is so reinvigorating. It's it's a great way of refocusing on why why I make my own art. Let alone, you know, hopefully it's helping to inspire a bunch of these young people to uh, make art themselves. They're they're very lucky to have you. I have to say that. I also want to just mention, Josh, that you were also the first Canadian to attend and graduate from the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, Vermont, and get a master's degree in the U.S. Very cool thing to to happen. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? And then I want to jump very quickly to the film, which we finally got our hands on, <laughs> Cartoon College, which is brilliant, and you're in it, and it's just fabulous. But can you just tell me a little bit about what that was like to get a master's in cartooning from this very incredible school? Oh yeah, fully. The uh, I mean, Center for Cartoon Studies, another place I'm very grateful to have been associated with, to have sort of passed on my artistic journey as my life has gone on. It is a, a school in Vermont that is focused purely on comics. It's as specialized as specialized can be in terms of uh, educational programs in general, um, let alone art programs. They teach you to sort of hone your craft going through various techniques, but you also physically make all of the books that all of the assignment is something you have to make an actual book uh, out of. Um, they've got this huge print studio in the in the basement of their the main building at the school that you um, work with. So that was, um, you know, in terms of small press stuff, in terms of self-publishing, that's where I really cut my teeth um, with a lot of this was uh, because you had to, because you had to learn to fold and staple all of your assignments and hand them in as physical books. And then, you know, when, once you've gotten through the basic, then you start, often you would start getting fancier and start doing screen printing and things <laughs> like that, start doing sort of die cut covers and <laughs> getting a little fancy with it. Um, and at the school, there was, uh, uh, you, I mean, you, the teachers there um, were all working cartoonists to some degree. Um, at, the, at the time I was there, I was very fortunate to learn from, Jason Lutz, whose Berlin series is absolutely fantastic. He's a very good uh, creator. Um, James Sturm, who's the head of the school, is uh, also a um, fantastic creator. Who uh, bo- Both of them have uh, played in a similar area to uh, where I've been playing with The Good Fight in terms of historical uh, comics. Uh, Steve Bissett was a teacher there who was the illustrator on Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. Um, Alex Longstreth was there at the time. Was, there, there's a whole bunch of different people and then they would have visiting artists on a weekly basis so you would have a chance to like I don't know, linda berry came in linda uh, berry Charles burns came in art spiegelman the, yeah art spiegelman yeah art spiegelman who who is um 
uh, part of the board, I think, of the school. It's 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 a pretty legit place. Heady stuff. Um, it's heady, heady stuff. And there's yes, a yes. film that you're in, and I I just find this the coolest, called Cartoon College. It's by Josh Melrod and Tara Ray. It's a wonderful way to understand the art and life of a cartoonist. And you're one of the featured people in this film. And we're going to actually roll a clip in a, in a moment. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can just tell us about what that was like to be in this very cool, award-winning, highly acclaimed documentary, Cartoon College. Yeah, well, it was a little fun. It's, um, you know, it was a documentary that was made about the school and kind of about sort of being a young cartoonist in general. It's, I think it was uh, intended as sort of a spotlight on this uh, this kind of quirky, unique uh, art form, and uh, and sort of uh, people early in their careers that are they're sort of moving towards uh, you know down the path to being professional cartoonists. Uh, the film crew sort of showed up, and I said I, I was willing to appear in the documentary. Um, uh, it's it's surreal looking back now. It's kind of a snapshot um, of uh, of kind of I mean it was my master's, but it feels like a snapshot of my my college years now because it's from. The filming, the actual filming of the film, was uh, was uh, over a decade ago at this point. But um, now, now it feels like this this kind of capsule of uh, of um, a point that I was once at, and hopefully, it, it gives good insight for anyone who's interested in comics and cartooning for um, what uh, what what it often looks like, what the process is, what the what the life um, in this uh, in this field is. Um, and uh, very happy that people like the movie too. It's it's really fantastic. And I want to just roll a clip right now of Josh Rosen appearing in Cartoon College. And of course, I want to mention this is from the documentary film as mentioned, Cartoon College by Josh Melrod and Tara Ray. And it's courtesy of LB Thunder Pony Productions in association with Chicken and Egg Pictures. And the film is also available for purchase by going online to cartooncollegemovie.com slash DVD. Here is a clip from the documentary film Cartoon College where the students at the college you included were all being asked what their goals and aspirations were after they graduate from cartooning school. Let's roll that clip. I would like to be able to make a living and hopefully a comfortable living from my comics. I would really love to have an agent, to have a publishing house interested in my work. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like working under the assumption that I think I'm going to be able to get a publisher and I'm not terribly worried about that. I loved the film, Josh, and there's a great scene of you in your dorm room on your bed talking about college life. And I encourage everyone to go and see this film, which is not only a great glimpse into the world of cartooning, but also a wonderful portrait of you in your college years. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to hear about how Josh is never without his sketchbook, even on vacation. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. I just want to say this. For most people, when they go to Paris, France, they bring a camera, myself included, a camera, and they take pictures. But you don't. You bring your sketchbook, and you draw people on the subway and draw people on the Seine. Are you always drawing? Do you keep a notebook by your bedside? And is that a comfort to always have your pencil and sketchbook handy? Oh, yeah, very much. I mean, comfort is the word for it. It's almost like a security blanket to some degree. It, it becomes like an impulse. I, I do so much drawing, and I think you kind of need to. If you're if you're in this field, you sort of have to. It becomes, after a certain point, kind of the way that you process a lot of the things around you. Um, uh, so often, I'll sort of just be walking around about my day, and I'll see something and be like, oh, I really wish I could just like stop and draw that right now that there's something interesting there that I want to I want to understand why why is it that shape that way why does that look that way and sort of taking a moment to go down and sketch that is um is the it's the only way I know to do it and it's fun it's a good way to um to play really I think often drawing at its best um any any art at its best does feel like play I I think that again people whether they identify as artists or not it doesn't hurt to have a sketchbook to uh to just just uh, give yourself that freedom to uh, to doodle, to have something. It doesn't have to look, you know, quote unquote, good. Just uh, just have that have that tool to to play around with. I think is is hugely beneficial, and I I have come to rely on it. Obviously, how wonderful, how wonderful. One of my favorite lines in in the film Cartoon College is when Art Spiegelman says something about this isn't a career for the people who do it; it's their calling. We have this clip of Art in the film talking about this. Let's roll that clip. It's more a calling than a career. Like, if you've got to do it, then there's certain things that are bet making it happen. But, it, but it's not like a, a great and sound career choice. It's like deciding to become a diva. I love that clip. Can you speak to the idea, Josh, that this isn't a career for the people who do it? It really is their calling. Yes. We talked a little bit right at the front about the fact that... Uh, um, it's it's not necessarily like an easy easy path. Um, if someone was saying, "Would you would you recommend uh, doing this?" I'd almost want to just say, "Own or, or making this your primary career." I'd almost want to say, "Only if you have to." But um, <laughs> but for for myself, and I think for a lot of people, I I truly feel that I I do have to. This is this is the thing that feeds me the most. This is all that I want to do. There, there are much more lucrative things that you could do if that is your priority, for sure. But um, there's nothing else that I've found that sort of feeds feeds my soul in quite a quite as deep of a way. Um, so I feel, you know, the choice to go on this career path is kind of out of my hands. So, Josh, what is the best way for people to contact you, connect with you on social media, and of course, to buy this book, this great book, The Good Fight? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, the uh, so a lot of my web presence you can find through my website which is uh very simple www.joshdraws.com um that links off to to um, my twitter account to my instagram account you can sort of find all of that through uh through my website um I'm, I'm pretty active on instagram most of the time anyway which which is um again you can find it through the website is probably the easiest way um and if you want to pick up the good fight um should be available through uh uh you know Amazon, through Indigo, through any uh, Canadian book retailer. Um, especially, I would encourage you to support a local book retailer. They could really use your help. Um, and um, and uh, yeah, and uh, The Good Fight should be available sort of anywhere, anywhere you like to buy books. What is bliss for Josh Rosen? Maybe you've already answered that. 
Yeah, I mean, often uh, th there there are a lot of things. I have a life beyond drawing. Obviously, I uh, bliss can often be spending time with the people I love, but um, bliss can equally be spending time at the at the drawing board and and just playing, playing, playing with uh, with my drawings, playing with my hands, losing myself in the act of just putting little marks down on paper. That makes me incredibly happy in, over the course of a given day, and it makes us very happy too. What's next for you? Um, well, yes, we, uh, next up, I'm going to be moving on to my next graphic novel project, which maybe, maybe I'll be able to talk about in the future. Um, and I want to very much at some point do something that I have written myself to. I've got a couple projects that, that, um, I'm looking to develop further and I've got some scripts that I'd like to start writing because I really loved working with Ted. I enjoy being a collaborator a lot. Having having a, a collaborative process feels really, really fun. But I also kind of want to tell some of my own stories too. So hopefully that'll be at some point in the future. We can't wait. And we'd love you to come back and tell us all about it. I want to thank you. Honestly, Josh Rosen, this has been truly delightful. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh my God. Thank you, Judy. This was so, so fun. It was just great. In Bliss News, we're so excited to announce that we have our newsletter and it's really in full form and so excited about it. Every week you get the latest news and news you can use uh, for the show, for the magazine and all kinds of exciting things coming up and some wonderful Bliss quotes and wonderful other editions that are coming soon. So look out for that. And the best way to get that is just to go to my Instagram at the bliss minute and just sign up for bliss news. You can't miss it. It's in our link tree bio and please sign up and, uh, and join us for that. There's also some wonderful perks that are coming up in that bliss newsletter. And also Great news with the Bliss bracelet. It's a beautiful bracelet. It is actually designed by a Canadian jewelry designer, Beth Godfrey, and it's made with eight Swarovski crystals in all beautiful colors of the rainbow. It really is kind of like a rainbow bracelet. And um, 14 karat gold filled beads and uh, the proceeds, part of the proceeds from each bracelet, the sale of each bracelet go to Nellie's emergency shelter for women and children. So it's just a great cause as well. And the coolest thing about the bracelet is that it's more than just a bracelet. To learn more about that as well, go to uh, our Instagram at The Bliss Minute and just check out all the information in my bio on bracelet, how you can order it, or you can just go to find findingyourbliss.com slash bracelet. And also, we encourage you to write to us and let us know who you'd like to see on our program. Do you have any wonderful suggestions of people who have found and are following and living their bliss or a great author that you'd love to have on our show or a celebrity or a musician? Please write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. Also, if you're a musician, you can write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com as well. And so much more coming up. Lots of exciting new things. We actually have a new product that's going to be coming into our bliss shop at findingyourbliss.com slash shop. So look out for that because that's coming up really, really soon. And uh, so many wonderful things. We also want to welcome a wonderful new intern to our team. And her name is Lauren Kaminsky. And uh, we're so happy to have you on board, Lauren. And we thank you for that as well. And um, that's about it for Bliss News. And also, if you have any Bliss News that you want us to share on the radio, again, please write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. 
I would like to thank my guest, Josh Rosen, for being on the show today. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center, supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, producer, Siobhan Kylie, senior editor, Haley Allegia, and our wonderful new intern, Lauren Kaminsky, and everyone here at Zoomer. This show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation. Start by settling back into a comfy position and allow your eyes to close or keep them open with a softened gaze. Begin by taking in several deep breaths, breathing in fully and exhaling fully. Breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your nose or mouth, whatever feels more comfortable. Just allow your breath to find its own natural rhythm. Bring your full attention to noticing each in-breath as it enters your nostrils, travels down to your lungs and causes your belly to expand. And notice each out-breath as your belly contracts and the air moves through the lungs, back up through the nostrils or mouth. And just notice, it's just a small thing, how the inhale is slightly different from the exhale. You may experience the air as cool as it enters your nose and warm as you exhale. As you turn more deeply inward, begin to let go of all the noises around you. And if you're distracted by sounds in the room, simply notice them and then bring your attention back to the breath. Don't try to control your breath in any way. Just observe and accept it in this moment without judgment. Just paying attention to each inhale and exhale. If your mind wanders, simply notice it and practice letting go of the thought just as if it were a leaf floating down the stream. And bring your attention back to your breath again. Your breath is beautiful. It's like an anchor that you can return to over and over again when you become distracted by thoughts. Notice when your mind has wandered and mindfully focus your awareness just back to the breath, watching the gentle rise of the belly on the in-breath, then relaxing, letting go on the out-breath, allowing yourself to be completely with your breath as it flows in and out. And when you're ready, slowly, at your own pace, come back to the room, gently open your eyes. You can even close them back again. And when you're ready, open them. For real, wiggle your fingers and toes and know that the breath is always with you as a refocusing tool to bring you back to the present moment. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you to always come back to the breath and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.